All right, we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're considering in verse 38 the things that Peter told the uh, inquirers and convicted men and women what they should do. He heard the sermon, and they were cut to their hearts, and Peter told them to uh, repent and to be baptized And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I was once speaking to a woman about the gospel in her home. About her becoming a true Christian. And uh, Marina said to me, I'd like to be a Christian. But I don't think I could carry on and live a a real Christian life. Uh, I'd fall away, I'm afraid. And there are many people who fear that. They hate the permissiveness and the promiscuity of a carnal world. There's nothing to offer them in that regard. But they know the fickleness of their own hearts. And they know what the hymnist says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And they say, "I, I have no certainty that I'll keep on. Following Jesus. I've seen others who who have said that they are Christians. But they've fallen away. And it would be better for me not to start. Than to start. And then fall away. My family will smile and nod their head. They'll say it was a phase I was passing through. And they'll be sympathetic and nod their heads. It's certainly easier to begin something, isn't it? Than to go on and on and carry on. And this is why these words of Peter, at the end of these exhortations, he gives them. um, Repent, be baptized. And then this wonderful promise, you will receive the Holy Spirit. The crowd under conviction. They knew they needed pardon for their sins. But then, how how could they live as they'd seen Jesus of Nazareth live? Do you know when... They nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How could I live like that? That's what they said. That's what they were thinking. How could they stay on the narrow path that leads to life? And Peter tells them, Ah, there's a gift. A gift. Freely given to us by our our loving Heavenly Father. And the gift is God, the Holy Spirit. God gives God to all who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Now this sentence is not um, three steps in some chronological order. That first... You repent, and then secondly, you're baptized, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. This sentence is a pastoral sentence. This sentence is an evangelistic encouragement. It tells people who all know they're guilty and they need to be forgiven, that they can have help from God, strength from God. To be baptized and to live a Christian life. And that help comes from the Holy One. 
who is determined to make us holy too. We receive him into our lives. We don't work for having him. It's a gift. He's a gift from God. And elsewhere in the New Testament, of course, we can see that the Holy Spirit is the agent of every part of our salvation. He draws us to a meeting. He brought people from Crete and from Rome and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. He brought them to Jerusalem, that Pentecost feast time, in order for them to hear Peter preach the gospel to them. He brought them there. He illuminated their minds. He gave them understanding. He convicted them of their need. He gave them a new birth. He gave them faith to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. In its conception, in its continuance, in its consummation, it's all of the Lord. He's the one who began the good work in us. We didn't begin it. He triggered it all off. He began it. And he is performing and completing it until this very moment in time. God the Father planned our redemption. God the Son accomplished our redemption. And God the Holy Spirit applies all the benefits of that redemption to our lives. So this morning I want us to consider together the Holy Spirit, the great gift of God, the Holy Spirit that God promised the people in Jerusalem and the people in with today and so until the end of time. I have two points. The first point I want to make to you is that the Holy Spirit is a person, a personal God. That's what we serve, not a, a, a deity, not, not a, a blind force but uh, a, a personal God. They were actual men called Mars and uh, Hoover and Kellogg and Ford and Skoll who invented chocolate bars and uh, vacuum cleaners and cornflakes and uh, motor cars and clog sandals. Real persons lay behind those materials that people use daily. And they refer to them by their name without any way thinking about those people themselves. We've depersonalized them. We hoover the floor and we eat a Mars and we drive a Ford and we swallow down Kellogg's for breakfast. We have depersonalized the men that invented those different products and we've equated the people with the product and we ignore the inventors completely and that's a danger then that the Holy Spirit becomes a sort of slogan a background influence uh, here in the church uh, off center uh, like the heating system or like the uh, microphone and the loudspeakers or like crowd dynamics when a lot of people come together that he's the agent of raw power or um, an extraordinary means of communication well now the Holy Spirit is warmth and the Holy Spirit is life 
And the Holy Spirit communicates and brings God to us. But before any of these things, he's a person. The Holy Spirit has personality. He is as much a divine person as God the Father and God the Son. And most of the cults deny that when your friendly uh, neighborhood Aryan um, uh, Jehovah Witness knocks on your door. Um, he doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. He'll quote this very chapter, Acts 2, and he'll say, uh, what do we read? The Holy Spirit is poured out, verse 18, shed abroad, verse 33. How can you pour out a person? You can't pour out David Beckham. You can't pour out the Prime Minister. The Spirit is merely an influence of God, he will say. Because he denies that Jesus Christ is God. Well, he has to deny that the Holy Spirit is also God. He's rubbished the doctrine of the Trinity. And so he has to do something to dismantle then what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Well, how do we answer the, uh, the interpretation that they give of Acts 2? And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, well, of, of course, it's figurative. Water, well, you've come through a cloudburst this morning, haven't you? Put your hat on and you, you've come through and your overcoat has been drenched by it. It's baptized you all as you've come to the, the service here. So the Holy Spirit, when he came... Um, on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't just one person out of a crowd of thousands who felt, oh, this message is for me. But rather, there were thousands, there were 3,000. The Holy Spirit was poured down from heaven. God opened the window and he said, Holy Spirit, go now and save thousands of Jerusalem sinners. He was shed abroad. And that's what happens in times of great awakening. It's happened in Wales, in Llangaitho, and it's, uh, it happened in Port Talbot, when Dr. Lloyd-Jones was the preacher there. So here were Welsh sinners, like Jerusalem sinners, as dry as old sticks and dusty stones drenched by the Holy Spirit. He was poured out, he was shed abroad on the congregation. So that's the hermeneutic, and that defends the personality of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean he's a force. The Holy Spirit is a person, an, an entity, who is intelligent and voluntary. He has a will, an understanding. He has affections and intentionality and individuality. All the elements that make up what a person and what personality is are found in him. He's not deficient in any moral quality like kindness and patience and gentleness and wisdom and restraint and joy and goodness. He has such life in himself and the Father has such life in himself and the Son has such life in himself. Let me break it down in a number of ways to show you how the Holy Spirit is a person. Firstly, personal pronouns are used 
when they talk of the Holy Spirit, they never say it. You would say it if you talk about nuclear power or if you talked about electricity. But scripture says he. In Antioch the Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. The Spirit of God says, me and I. The Lord Jesus says, when the counselor comes, whom, not which, whom, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, the phrase, the spirit of truth, is actually has neuter gender. And so you can grammatically say it about it. Jesus doesn't. Jesus says he. If John wanted us to believe that the spirit of God was some force, then that would be the perfect place to do it. It will testify. No, he, straight away. And then John 16 and verse 13 and 14. I think there are... Uh, eight he's and him's in this phrase but when he the spirit of truth will come he will guide you into all truth he will speak on his own he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you you know those familiar words in John 16 There's no grammatical reason for the masculine pronouns. Jesus chooses them deliberately. If I depart, I will send him to you, he says. And then secondly, the Spirit ascribes personal properties to the Holy Spirit. He can be lied to. Peter says to Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Well, you you wouldn't say, I lied to my refrigerator. Or I, I lied to the water fountain or the food vending machine. It's people you deceive. Paul tells the Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, you can't grieve an abstraction. You can't grieve a force. Astronauts don't grieve because they have uh, defied the law of gravity. But you should weep if you have hurt someone you love, someone who depends on you day by day. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is someone you can offend someone you can defy or someone you can love and trust someone you relate to in a personal way we sang a hymn now to the Holy Spirit again the scriptures ascribe personal tasks to the Spirit for example he's got the power of speech he can speak Uh, to a congregation in prayer in Antioch who are asking God to guide them about the future. And the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith, Paul tells Timothy. He says this. 
Jesus says to the seven churches, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Jesus says of the Spirit, he will teach you all things. Well, only God can teach us all things. He will teach you about me and teach you how you should live and what you must do to be saved and what is right and wrong. He will teach you these things. Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry if you're put on trial and they make false accusations against you because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you have to say. So here is the Holy Spirit and he's ministering to us and he's guiding us and he's saying don't do that but this is the way you should go and he's helping us and enlightening us day by day here's a one christian lady and she's in a crisis and the holy spirit knows and uh, he knows what she's going through and the difficulties that she's facing and uh, he helps her And sometimes we're on our own and we say some things and we're amazed that we said them. We were given grace. The Holy Spirit helped us. Somebody will, you wrote a little book and somebody will quote something and you think, did I say that? Well, the Holy Spirit helped you to say those things. We're told the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit prays. He prays for us with groans that words cannot express. There's a personal God in glory to whom our praises and prayers are ascended to heaven. But there is a personal God here that you've brought with you. The indwelling Spirit of God that said to you, Sunday morning now, upper stand off the church. Listen to the word of God. Be attentive. Respond to what you have to say. I'll help you understand it. I'll have a word for you. The Holy Spirit is not like some Tibetan prayer wheel which turns round and round in the wind. He's not a mechanism. He's a personality. Like you have had a mother and father who've prayed for you from the time that you were Uh, a little child in mum's womb. And when she felt you moving around, she prayed for you. Your daddy prayed for you at that time. And uh, you've had a friend who you met in college and she was a Christian and you liked her and you went with her to meetings. She was praying for you. The Holy Spirit is like that. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He's saying... Lead them not into temptation today and uh, deliver us from evil today. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Again, the, the scriptures speak of personal characteristics of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit. He is called the paraclete, um, the comforter, the advocate. Um, an advocate was someone who in Jesus' days was called to be an assistant to a tongue-tied man who was accused of something he felt he hadn't done. He is a barrister. He's a counsel. He pleads your cause in court. 
And so it's given to Jesus. You know, in the second chapter of, uh, of John's Gospel, we are told, we have one who speaks to God on our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's our advocate in the tribunal of God, in the great day when all of us will stand before Almighty God. There'll be an advocate who bore our sins, who dealt with our guilt, and he'll say, these are one of mine. These are one that you gave me, Father, and I suffered and bled and died for them. They've been unashamed of the gospel. And he will speak up our advocate with God. So we have another advocate, another paraclete, and he's not at the right hand of God, but he's with us here on earth, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes and he says, come on now, don't be, don't be discouraged. When Satan comes and brings us memories of how silly we've been in the past and how guilty, Holy Spirit says, it's covered. It's forgiven. It's pardoned. He comforts us. He's the most tender-hearted and loving of advocates, and he's always with us there. Sometimes uh, you hear a Christian say, well, about certain aspects of ministry and teaching, well, that's not my forte. Um, I'm not good with figures for the work of a treasurer. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good in praying in public. That's, that's not my forte. Um, witnessing or whatever, they feel inadequate. But then the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit strengthens areas of weakness in our lives. And when we're dic- discouraged and, and low, he can gently lift us back. Again, where we are weak, he makes us strong. And when we doubt, he gives us faith to trust in him. And so when the church says, you know, we think you should take this office, and you say, well, I'm just so inadequate. But the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit gifts and enables. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, Jesus says. And that's what he says to every one of us. So that's my first point, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an influence or a quality or a force or a power or an emanation. That he is as much a person as Jesus is a real person. And as the Father is a a personal God. Uh, R.C. Sproul, who has done as much as anyone in the world to popularize and uh, reawaken conviction about uh, free grace and uh, the reformed faith. Uh, He was planning to marry his wife, Vesta, when suddenly he was converted. It was 1957. And, oh, he went to his girlfriend and told her, I've become a Christian. I I know God. My sins are forgiven. She was not excited She didn't want him to change. She was fearful of what had happened. Well, he was given great wisdom, like young Christians can be given. And he invited her to come with him in a few weeks' time to a prayer meeting. And he'd been praying for her. And she was suspicious, but she went with him. And in the middle of that prayer meeting, like... Uh, John Wesley at Aldersgate Street, just round the corner from St. Paul's Cathedral. 
There's a plaque that tells you this is where Aldersgate Street was. And Wesley went along there, was invited by a friend, and his heart was strangely warmed. And he was given assurance that Christ had died for his sins. In the meeting. And so it happened with her. And after the meeting was over, she turned to R.C., and uh, who 55 years later is still her husband. Now I know who the Holy Spirit is. Now I know who the Holy Spirit is. Now. And like the church attendance she had practiced for years, now it's different. Now I know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know who he is. She didn't say, I don't know what he is. He'd given her birth. He'd given her life. He'd given her faith and trust. And that, that's what, all of you need that. All of you need his influence. And you can speak to him and you can say, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, come into my life and enable me to be confident you're going to keep me. It's not just an emotional swing I'm on. You come. Speak to a person who is powerful and loving. And then the second thing I want to say is that the Holy Spirit is God. That he is God. He's expressly called God. Um, Even the Jehovah's Witnesses in their New World translation of the Bible um, can't expunge from Acts 5 what Peter says to Ananias. Ananias, how is it? That Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. That's what he says. You lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. Peter says to him. Here is someone, Peter, who was raised a Jew and the great conviction that he had as a Jew that hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord, one Lord, one God, only one God. The hatred of idols, of Baals, of uh, polytheism, great hatred of that. And yet, Peter, simply and naturally, he calls Jesus Christ Lord, and he says the Holy Spirit is God. He hadn't been to a theological course, hadn't heard someone give a, a sermon like I'm giving you a sermon on the Trinity and on the deity of the Holy Spirit, but it just came to him. Paul calls Christians temples of God. And the reason he calls them temples of God is that the Spirit of God dwells in every Christian. The temple of the Holy Spirit. So glorify God in your body. Your bodies are the temples of the living God. Why? Well, because God the Holy Spirit is in you. Or in, there's an interesting verse in uh, 
the first letter to the uh, Corinthians, and it's uh, chapter 12, and it's about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And he speaks there of the three members of the Godhead. Uh, And he does it like this. He says in verse 4, they are the same Spirit. And then verse 5, the same Lord. And in the next verse, the same God. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. You see the order. In the benediction, it's the Lord Jesus, grace of the Lord Jesus, and the love of God, and the Holy Spirit comes last. But here, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the first reference is to the Spirit, and the second is to the Lord Jesus, and the third is to God. They're, they're three. They're all on the same level. They are all divine. They have the names and the attributes and the titles of God. Now, what is also interesting is that the Holy Spirit is referred in the New Testament as the author and the spokesman of um, words that in the Old Testament were spoken by prophets or spoken by Jehovah. You find in the Old Testament, the Lord said, and then a quotation, or you find the Spirit said. And a great quotation. What the Spirit says, God says. What God says, the Spirit says. Words that in the Old Testament are spoken by God are in the New Testament said to be spoken by the Holy Spirit. Um, Acts 28, verse 25 Paul is commissioning, right at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, the great um, commission that God gave to Isaiah the prophet. And uh, it's, of course, the Lord is speaking, high and lifted up. And uh, Paul says, God said, the Lord said, go and tell the people. And Acts It's quoted by Paul, and he says, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. He is saying, What the Jehovah says, the Holy Spirit says. So, um, the uh, equality of the Spirit and of the Lord is there. And then the Holy Spirit has all the perfections of God. He's omniscient, doesn't he? He knows everything. Um, exhaustively. Um, He knows everything about God. You know, here we are, I've got a brain, and as I often say to you, I can hold my brain there in the palms of my hands together. That's about the size of my brain. And it's an extraordinary organ, and this brain communicates, and it's got vast knowledge, and it's just extraordinary creation by God, our brains. But it's limited, isn't it? It's not infinite. And one thing that this brain of ours, anyone's brain, doesn't know exhaustively God. Because God is infinite and immeasurable and our brains are so small. But the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. He can go in and in and in and into God and there's nothing hidden in God that the Holy Spirit doesn't know. God has no secrets from the Holy Spirit. He reveals everything to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes the deep things of God known to us. He inspires apostles and prophets to write down in the scriptures. 
All that we need to know to live a godly and a loving life, to be brave and courageous and strong. And it's there in the word that the Holy Spirit has taken the things of God, but not all the things of We'll never know that. Does the man Christ Jesus with a man's brain, does the man know all of God exhaustively? As God the Son, he knows God exhaustively. Of course he does. But he's, there's a man in glory, a real man. God, by the Holy Spirit, gives us enough in every circumstance, in every trial, in every testing. The Spirit is there, illuminating us and helping us in our lives. Oh, again, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. This is Psalm 139. We had a man in the church and he went on a walking holiday with a friend and as they went, they memorized the entire Psalm 139. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Where shall I go from thy presence? If I ascended into heaven now out there, if I took the wings of the morning and if I flew to the uttermost corners of the earth, what would I find when I got there? I would find God was there. Uh, Tomorrow I'll fly to Kenya. And what will I find when I get to Kenya? I'll find God is there. Because God is everywhere. When men stood on the moon, they read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Because God was there. God is everywhere. Isn't he? Where the Spirit is, there is God. So, um, there's nothing special about this building. This building is empty in the week. And then we come and we bring God the Holy Spirit with us. And we sing under the illumination and help of the Holy Spirit. I preach by the power that the Holy Spirit gives to me. And you listen and respond. Uh, One moment. Oh, I must do that. Oh, I must remember this. Oh, thank God for this. Uh, Oh, help me, Lord, in this week to come. And you are responding to the influence that the Holy Spirit, as I preach, brings to bear upon you. You think of Mary, the mother of of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit overshadowed her so that what was born in her, the holy child that was born in her, was begotten by the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying to you, he is omniscient and he's omnipresent and He's a creator. Uh, You know how Genesis 1 opens. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters. He came into that primeval chaos. He came and he was there. And he was ministering and he was helping. The psalmist says, you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Job says, the spirit of the Lord has made me, the breath of the Almighty gave me life. And the spirit of God is absolutely holy. Um, You know how the angels hide their eyes and say, holy, holy, holy to God. 
and that the Lord is described as glorious in his holiness. Well, then, the fruit of the Spirit's work in our life is holy work. And the holy tree, which is the most beautiful of all the trees of the field, is full of wonderful fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces holy fruit in the lives of everyone in whom he lives. And then the Holy Spirit displays the sovereignty of God. The wind blows where it lists, Jesus says, where it chooses, the wind blows. You can't tell from where it comes or whither it goes. And it's just like that with people who are born of the Spirit. So you came along with uh, three of your friends from college and you sat there together and the preacher spoke to you. He didn't know he was speaking to you, he was speaking to everyone, but the Holy Spirit winged those words to you, to your mind, to your conscience, to your affections. He ministered to you. He addressed you. And you knew there was a God. You were like Vesta, the wife of R.C. Sproul. It was the ministry of the Holy Spirit that made you a believer. And you thought your three friends had been touched in exactly the same way, but they wanted to talk about the week and studies and boys and fashion and all the other things that we talk about. Only you. The Holy Spirit, he fell upon you and regenerated you and made you a new creation. And so when you go to church, you're to say, Oh, Holy Spirit, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Speak to me and quicken me and, and make me a real Christian. I, I want to serve you. I want to follow you, but I'm prone to wander, and I don't want to give up after I begin. And so you ask the Holy Spirit to help you and strengthen you. He does. He does. And he will come upon me. Peter said to those that were convicted and troubled and knew they needed forgiveness of their sins, well, you turn from your sins and be baptized. You come into the church and... Uh, you come under the word and under its leadership day by day, week by week. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. He'll help you. Your advocate, the paraclete, he'll be there with you. How wonderful. How, how can any of you leave here today without the Holy Spirit? A face a bleak, empty word and growing up and having to make the big choices of marriage and a career and facing old age and death without the Holy Spirit. Here's a gift that God is offering to you. Take that gift now. You take him into your life. Lord, bless your word to us this morning and help us as we think of the great gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you that he is God. And thank you that he's a person that we can relate to. Thank you for the blessings we've had. 
spiritual blessings all our lives until now. Lord, hear our prayers. Accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.